Father in heaven, thank you for this chance to be together again today. We pray that you will guide our class as we seek to focus on the work of elders. We pray for instruction from the Spirit of God and wisdom and understanding that we might be able to apply this to our lives and to our service for you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if anybody can see that little screen up there, but am I in it? On the, TV, on the camera here, on the camera? Yes, you are. Okay. If I, if I go over here, I'm... So I'm good. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's good. You can go past the all right, that's fine. Great, thank you. Yeah, I do, I do. There, I, technically, there is. <laughs> but I just didn't know it applied. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're going to uh, get into um, a little bit more specifics in terms of the responsibilities of elder. And I'm going to deal with some things that are a little harder I will tell you that when I get to the end of what we're going to be talking about today, I'm going to uh, cover something that I will cover again on Friday. Let me explain that. I'm not going to cover all of the I'm going to cover on Friday, but I'm going to cover part of it. The reason is because I get people coming into the class every day that are different than they were there before. Technically, Friday is not advertised as an elder's training day, but the truth of the matter is this whole week is a leader training class, and Friday is an important one because I'm going to be dealing with, dealing with issues of conflict along with dealing with issues that are current issues in the church. And they are related to each other because current issues of challenge cause conflict. Are you with me? And so on Friday, for those that may come into the class that have not been here the first part of the week for the elders part of the training, they will not get that if I don't give it to them and they need that piece. So, you know, you could come in 15 minutes late on Friday and and not get that part or and not have to hear it twice or whatever, but I am going to share it a couple of times. But I, w I will just tell you that now ahead of time. Today we're going to look at a few specifics in relationship to elder responsibilities. I'm going to talk about uh, the worship service. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the worship service. It tends to be the major focus already. And I don't want to emphasize something that you may already be doing. What I do want to emphasize is the fact that we, in most cases, need to improve our worship service process and what we're doing in the local church. And I'll address that in a, a couple of moments. I want to talk about visitation today. That's probably the most important neglected area of elders' ministry. Notice how I said that, the most important neglected area of elder ministry. It's not necessarily the most important. They all have their aspects of importance. But visitation is a vital part of what happens for the, uh, in the local church and the work of the elder. We'll talk a little bit about counseling, which is not a major responsibility for an elder, but does come into the responsibility of an elder. Then we'll talk about a few other isolated 
things, and then I want to speak about the work of an elder in supporting the local leaders. That is a major task that is also not being done, one that needs to be considered and be part of the work of an elder and that we need to be discussing. And we'll spend quite a bit of time on that in order to be able to help uh, you to realize the value of that. I want to remind you of what we talked about yesterday in the responsibility of the elder to be involved in the planning and the development of the spiritual outreach of your church. And we'll talk about that in terms of local church growth. And then I want to talk about the church issues that you have to confront and that churches neglect. I'm not talking about elders neglect. Churches are neglecting an aspect of ministry that needs to be uh, revisited and strengthened in the local church. And then I will talk a little bit, as I said, about conflict. So that's my goal today. I need to move right ahead with the things that I have in store. I can't spend a lot of time on uh, worship, but I want it to be here to heighten your understanding of the responsibility. Your most visible role is dealing with the worship service in the local church. If you happen to be the head elder, you are responsible for organizing the local church. Now, most of you that responded yesterday were not head, uh, head elders. How many of you are a head elder in your church? Okay, there's two of you. The rest of you are not head elders by definition, right? Mr. Lawyer, did I come up with that right? <laughs> I'm giving Jim a bad time because he and I have been talking about law-related law things and, and, and all of that. I don't know if that would stand up in a court of law, but at least it worked. Um, but it's, a, it's still something that you plan. Even if you don't plan the platform schedule as the elder, the head elder will generally do, and maybe you do, I don't know if he, that individual delegates it to you, but if you, um, if you are an elder, you still are going to plan for the worship for that morning. And you may be, maybe your uh, head elder plans on a quarterly basis. Maybe your elder plans on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. Whatever, I'm assuming that at some point you are responsible for deciding who's going to be on the platform on Sabbath morning, what roles they're going to play, and on those kinds of different things. Maybe the pastor does that work. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how your church works with that. But... Here's what I want to encourage you with. And that's where I need to go off of my sheet and get back onto the screen. The worship service is encountering and encountering with God. You are meeting with God in a worship service. People today come into a worship service, in some cases, to be entertained. This is not an experience that is to be entertaining. You and I are not just receiving some kind of benefit. Oh, that was a wonderful sermon. And you go home and you talk about how wonderful a preacher you had that particular week. Sure, glad it wasn't a regular preacher who we can't stand because he's boring. You know, you understand what I'm saying? 
that's the way people tend to relate to worship service today. We become consumers of whatever's taking place in the local church on Sabbath morning. But this is a an encounter with God. Christian worship is focused upon God. The whispering and laughing and talking which might be without sin in a common business place should find no sanction in the house where God is worshipped. I'll tell you honestly, I struggle with this too. When I come and I visit in churches and I encounter people, you know, I, I want to fellowship with them and, and it seems natural there in the sanctuary and, and we have that kind of experience and once in a while something comes up that is somewhat humorous or just not necessarily humorous or funny, but just a response or a reaction. It, it, I have to catch myself and be careful with that in God's house. We are coming here to worship the Lord. By the way, it's in your notes, and it's from Testimonies, Volume 5. Worship includes adoration, which is expressed through singing and prayer. The reason we're emphasizing this is because think of the parts of the worship service that you are leading out on on Sabbath morning. It doesn't matter whether you're meeting a worship service at 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, as a number of our churches do today. That, the time is not relevant in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say you can only worship at 9 o'clock, or you can only worship at 11 o'clock on Sabbath morning. We need to come together in a way that facilitates worship for everybody, and also facilitates the role of the pastor and all those kinds of things. But when we come together, we want to know that what we are doing is facilitating the worship of God. The worship of God is interactive. God is not something you look at. It's, he's not stone or wood or metal that we are just simply looking at. God is real. God is interactive with us. He not only wants us to adore Him, but He also wants to communicate with us. Communication is a two-way street. He is speaking to our hearts. He is communicating His love to us. He is also communicating His expectations to us. We are responding back to him in that worship service. And it's not just during the sermon time. That's why singing and praying is a part of this interactive experience with God. One of my favorite times, uh, and often I'm preaching, but one of my favorite times is the singing time. It lifts my heart. It lifts my spirit together, especially when there's good singing and good music going. Now, some of your churches are small, some, and we had all kinds of varieties of churches here. Fantastic. I love that, that we have that variety. But in some small churches and some medium-sized churches, there are no pianists. Now, we seem to be coming back. Let me explain what I mean by this coming back to having more musicians. There was a time in the last 10, uh, 15 to 20 years where it seemed like less and less kids were being trained as pianists. And so that means we have less and less adults playing the piano. So when you go to the local church, what does that mean? You gotta play a CD or you gotta sing a cappella. I mean, those are the only choices you really have. And some churches don't do well with a CD 
and certainly don't do well a cappella. And it can be really tough that way. There's something about that piano or that organ, as the case may be, and not many organs today barely have enough pianists out there to, to be able to do that. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's a really a rich experience. I can get into this really deep, and i got to keep going. No, uh, Go on. We and the internet works too, and that, that, that's great. At least there's something that helps to, uh, to bring the music out and make it easier for people to sing and to fellowship that way. But, and that, that's good. Internet is, is also important too. It affirms God's goodness. It recognizes His reverence and reverences His presence. Okay, I should say work recognizes His worthiness and reverences His presence. That's what worship is doing in terms of adoration. That's why we have to be careful what we're doing in God's house in the way we respond. It also includes proclamation, a time for the Word of God to be spoken. A lot of people don't think about the way a church looks, but if you go into a Catholic church, where's the pulpit? Pardon me? Okay. Up or, but where specifically? The pulpit. In a Catholic church? Yeah, usually they're off to the side, and sometimes it's just a lectern. If you go into old churches in Europe, like Martin Luther spoke in, they were sometimes way up, up above, right? And that is kind of isolating the, the, the preacher from the congregation, and it's the voice of God speaking from on high down to the people. There, the placement of the pulpit is actually communicating theology. We place the pulpit in the center of the church most of the time, unless we happen to have a screen behind us that we're speaking to, like in an evangelistic meeting, or whatever, like I'm doing right now. We place the pulpit in the center of the church. Why? Because the proclamation of the Word of God is Protestant and is central. The Protestant churches tend to be central with the Word of God being spoken. We, um, we have a church that rents an Episcopalian church. In the Episcopalian church, the pulpit is off to the side. And it's usually just a little lectern. It's not the focus. Because the liturgy is the focus of the service in an Episcopalian church or in a Catholic church. The liturgy being the mass or its equivalent in some other uh, denominations. And so the priest is up there doing what priests do. And then when there is some kind of a homily, it's kind of a side issue and a little bit of the Word of God spoken. That's, that's kind of what happens. Well, I can really get into this, but I want, to, I want you to understand why we do what we do, how things are placed, and how we want to work with it in the worship service. Be conscious of what is happening in that service and realize that you are responsible for what is communicated in that worship service. So another way of saying it is, if the worship service is disorganized, and you don't know what's happening from week to week. Now, we all have bad weeks, okay? I'm talking about regularly. If you don't have it planned out, you don't know who's doing the scripture reading, you don't have it in the bulletin and all of that, what does that communicate to them, to the parishioners who are coming on Sabbath morning? What does that communicate to the visitors who come there on Sabbath morning? Especially to the visitors. 
It communicates that the worship of God is secondary here. It's not important. It's not enough. It's not important enough to organize ahead of time and to plan for and to do our best. That's what that communicates. Now they don't sit there and they say, "Well, this church doesn't." Be, you know, I'm going to be. You know, they don't believe this. Now they don't do all that. But subconsciously, they are being influenced that way. In some cases, they are consciously being affected that way. Individuals who may be used to um, a, a very organized, uh, involving church service come into some of our churches and they say, Man, I, you know, they've got truth, but I can't stand this worship service because I'm so used to heavy involvement. And, and I'm not just talking Pentecostal involvement. I'm just talking about organization and structure and flow and, and, uh, and, and excellence in worship service. And they come into our worship services and they, they, they get discouraged. So we just have to think about that, all right? Worship includes renewal. It should, uh, re, the, boy, that's a typo. Result in renewal. It involves reflection, prayer, and meditation. It is a time of repentance. It is a time to experience wholeness and peace in Jesus. Please think about worship, what it includes. It includes fellowship, sharing together in the worship service. It includes participation, as I've already stated, by the things that we talk about. Involve people in the service. Don't have the same people up front. And if people say no to you to be involved, don't always take that as, I will never do it. It may be, I'm scared, I don't know how, I need to be trained. And we need to take the time to train people how to do that. We don't think about it, but kids especially need to be trained. Don't let them get up there and just flub it up. Actually go over it with them. Uh, rehearse it. Not only at home, if it happens to be your child, or, or with somebody else, but actually get them up front, behind the pulpit, using a microphone, used to how to handle it. Some people just, they just don't like that thing called a microphone and say they'll hold it back over here or down here or if it's on the pulpit they'll stand back here instead of being up here where they can be heard people have to be taught that if you want if you're saying something up front and people can't hear it you didn't say anything you opened your mouth and nothing came out because if they can't hear it you didn't say anything am i right okay so did i see a hand yeah yeah we uh, to get our youth more involved, we have our pathfinders do our, uh, our uh, <clears throat> okay. Pathfinders is a great group to be able to utilize in worship service and various capacities. Not on, only just on a Pathfinder Sabbath, but in other activities. Adventurers is another one if you have them involved there. Families is another way to do it, a good way to orchestrate that and do that. Thank you for that observation. I agree that the service should not be entertaining. However, I think too often that is used as an excuse. I think a service should be sincere, it should be joy, it should be uplifting, encouraging, healing, loving, smile, peace, engaging, giving of your best, not a dirge, mm -hmm. not a thing where everybody's got a solid look on their face. I can go to corporate because that's that's my that's my form. There's probably ten ways that I can make the argument. If there isn't an element of entertaining what I'm doing, I'm going to fail. And if there isn't an element of entertaining 
by the person presenting it, whether it's the singer, the prayer, the person making the announcement, it'll be a flop. So I, I have a tendency when I hear, we're not gonna be entertaining as people scratching their fingernails on a chalkboard because I don't want a dirge. I can go to the Catholic church and have dirge. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with that point except to say that just recognize the balance. Entertainment for a lot of people today is watching television on the screen, okay? And for them, entertainment is simply receiving something that they enjoy watching, but they have no intention of responding to or participating with. Should, it, um, should the uh, experience with God be entertaining in the sense that it's moving, it's encouraging, it's lively. Yes, I totally agree with that. Okay. All right. I'm going to take one more comment, but I am on slide six of 74. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, Pastor. You see, the, the worship is uh, proclaiming God's word. Can we proclaim God's word through music or singing? Absolutely. Because I used to go to a church back home, and once a year they got just music. Yeah, the, the question, I'm repeating things here for the, for the recording. Uh, is it possible for the proclamation of the word to come in other ways than just preaching? Absolutely, uh, that, that is true. We hope that it is coming that way, which by the way, on another side trip, is why we stay with hymns and not just what we sometimes call um, 7-Eleven songs, you know? The same thing repeated seven times in 11 different ways or whatever. Because when you really sing the hymns, you are proclaiming the Word of God. You look at the words of those hymns that have been written, there is deep theology in those hymns. And when you are singing those hymns, you are recording in your brain those words and that theology. It's huge. Uh, by the way, there was another thing up here I wanted you to catch. Remembering anniversaries, birthdays, other special events is important. I say to this, use caution when worship services. Don't make the worship service come down to a potluck level by singing happy birthday or those kinds of things up front. So you've got to be careful with that. Just recognize that part of it. Worship deserves planning. It doesn't just happen to be successful. The worship must not become mere routine. Worship service involves the coordination of activities and talents of many people and therefore must be well planned. By the way, you have neighboring churches. Invite other people from other churches around if you're a small church and it's the same person up on Sabbath morning all the time. Special music or something like that as an elder, involve those people. Bring somebody over who might have a testimony to share. Do something that is not just routine, the same thing every Sabbath, the same person. You'll get tired of it, okay? And so will the people. Preaching, here are some eight rules of biblical preaching. Know Christ personally, preach biblically, preach relevantly, preach positively. Um, very central to the Adventist message. Prepare early, organize logically, speak clearly, plan annually. That last one may not be something we think about, but I encourage you and your pastor, if your pastor doesn't already do this, to plan out your worship services for a year, thinking about where you're headed. Maybe it's a theme you want to bring out on a quarterly basis. 
or on a, an annual basis for, for whatever reason. Preach in series. There are times when I was invited by a preacher once to come to, to preach in his church. He was doing a series on the steps to Christ. And he says, look, I've got to be gone that particular, uh, one particular week. Would you take this particular area of steps to Christ and preach on it for me? I said, great. I still kept his theme going and focused in there and he was able to be gone and still his theme continued on during that time. So plan your worship services out. So it's not just a hodgepodge here and there. You don't like to eat oatmeal every single week, well, day, or you might, I don't know. But you want some variety along the way and your body needs variety physically. Your spiritual health needs variety as well and so do your members. You get that variety by planning it out. Otherwise, you will have a tendency to do what we preachers can fall into a trap on and that is preaching to our pet peeves. Okay? And you sometimes have to work to not preach in your pet peeves. All right, let's talk about a different area now, and that is the elder and the church in relationship to nurture. Nurture is caring for the members of the church. Love and unity are Christian requirements. We know, according to 1 John 3, verse 14, that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. We need to help our church to grow in love for one another. Our churches spend too much time shooting at each other instead of helping each other. We are wounded people in our churches, wounded by the attacks of Satan on a regular basis, and then we come to church where we should be healing each other or participating in services outside of church where we should be bringing healing, and instead we spend our time shooting at each other. That's not what our churches need, and that's not the environment that God expects it to be. Unity empowers the church. Acts 2.1 says, Now on the Pentecost, day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all of one accord in one place. That's what you're striving for in your church. That is your goal, to bring unity to your church. And that takes work on the part of the elder. Christian love produces unity despite differences. The fire of Christian love dissolves the dross of class hatreds, racial clashes, social ruptures, and minor theological controversies. There's a lot in that one sentence that I can't take the time to get into more. You want to die on that hill. What's that? You want to die on that hill. That's exactly right. Make, check, check it out. Check it out. Is it worth... A lot of investment of your time. Literally, do you want to die on that hill? It's a good one. I use it too, Jim, quite a bit. Let's talk about visitation for a moment and the structure of visitation and why it's important. The visitation of members can be vital to their spiritual nurture and growth. Let me explain this to you very simply. This is spiritual nurture and growth. Going to a person's house and visiting them is vital. If you aren't doing it, you need to do it. But when you go, realize that you're not just going there to, I'm using this per word on purpose, entertain them, okay? You're not just going there to say hello and let them know that they're alive and you're alive. 
You're not just going there to simply greet them and help them to feel good. You are going there to get better acquainted with them, yes, because we don't know each other very well. But you're also going there as an elder of the church, a spiritual representative of God in ministry. You are spiritually accountable and responsible for the spiritual development of that person. I hope you're catching what I'm saying. This is a spiritual work that we need to do, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. The kind of ministry, this kind of ministry is one of the most effective ways that elders can serve their people. Home visitation is important for your people because they need to know that you care enough to come. Now, folks, I, I've been pastoring for 40 years plus. And I'll tell you, when I started out in ministry, my first church, I started to encounter a, a change in society. It's a change that I believe was already going on and that is only accelerated today. That changes people don't like people in their homes as much as they once did. They're not used to it and they struggle with it a little bit. There was a day 50 to 100 years ago when a pastor could walk into somebody's church, I mean home, and the Everybody would drop whatever they were doing. The pastor's here. Oh, hey, the pastor's here. Let's sit down. And whatever you were doing, you stopped doing. And everybody's excited to see the pastor. And the pastor didn't have to make an announcement ahead of time, make an appointment ahead of time, didn't have to do anything. The pastor would just show up when he was around in that area. You can't really do that much today because most of us as pastors and as elders will find that we're very busy and our members are too. How many times have pastors knocked on doors or elders knocked on doors they didn't make appointments for and found that the people aren't home because they're just generally not home? People sometimes don't get home till 8 or 9 o'clock at night because they got off of work at 5, they stopped and caught a bite to eat for supper at, at uh, uh, Taco Bell or whatever, and then they had some shopping to do and some work to do and some whatever things to do, and they didn't get home till 8 or 9 o'clock. And that's every night. And that, so you, you can't just walk into people's homes. The other side of it is that there's some people who just like never leave home, but they don't really like people at home. They don't take care of their home. They're watching television all the time. They don't like the pastor just showing up or the elder just showing up or whatever. That's true. But part of the challenge is we're becoming more isolated as a society. These technological devices that we have, are isolating us from people. Our younger generation, they're studying this sociologically, and we know that we're headed for real trouble with this younger generation. And it's already affecting an older generation as well. People don't talk. Kids will sit next to each other and communicate with each other by text, not by voice. They don't use their eyes, they don't use their mouth, they will talk to each other by text. And Absolutely. That's why depression is increasing. That's why suicide is increasing. That's why all of these kinds of problems are developing in people. As spiritual leaders of the church, we've got to break that cycle. We also have to help people to get together. Now, there are other ways to connect with people than going to their homes. You can visit people at church. 
If they're uncomfortable, meet with them after a church service or even invite them to the church. Invite them to your home. You don't always have to go to their home. But at some point, I want to suggest to you that in most cases, you need to get to people's homes because you learn more about the people, their personalities, and some of their needs that they won't admit when you go to their homes and you see what's happening there. I had church member that I visited once and uh, when I realized what, I, what was there, I realized there was a great need. When you go to, went to that person's home, you literally had to walk through an, uh, uh, the paths that were there much as you would in a maze that a, a mouse would have. There were newspapers and trash and everything else piled all up and they simply just had a path there to the bathroom, to the bedroom, to the kitchen, and it was just piled up all over the place. You learn something about people. Well, I can't go into that anymore. Let's keep going here. <laughs> should be a part of the board of elders or church board's agenda. You should be planning your visitation. An elder assisted by a deacon or a deaconess could be in charge of a parish zone. If you uh, are a small church and there's one elder, guess where that parish zone is? Your whole area, (laughs) okay? But if there are three or four of you as elders or six or seven of you, then break your area up and develop Uh, areas of territory, or whatever works for you. Sometimes it's a geographical area because you all are spread out geographically. Sometimes you all live in the same geographical area, but your members are spread out. So divide your church members into uh, some uh, a group of people alphabetically or whatever works for you to break the, the list up. But include a deacon or a deaconess in that work. If it's a deaconess and she's not your wife, you meet her if at the home that you're going to visit if you need to do that. That's one way of meeting women when you're a male elder and going and meeting with another woman at their home. You get another woman to go with you, but you, do, you don't ride in the car together. You go have them come directly to that home and then visit there. Okay, you get all that? All right. Uh, Visiting by appointment can double the effectiveness of your time. The visitation format, this is the part that I want to give here. Now, I shortened this area because there's a whole more uh, greater section in the church uh, manual, not the manual so much as the elder's handbook, and don't forget to get one of those if you don't have one. But uh, I shortened it because I wanted to concentrate on the most important parts. This is the most important part. I want to give you a format and it's a, it's a tool that I've used when I visit with people, and you can use it as well. You want to be prepared. Know why you are going there. If, if you're doing visitation on a regular basis, as you should be, your first visit is likely to be the get acquainted visit. That's your purpose. You're going to go there to get acquainted with them. You don't hardly know their names. You don't know other family members. There may be other family members that don't come to church. You're going there to get acquainted. That is your first visit, the first time you go to that home. But the next time you go to that home, you've got to have a different purpose. Now you're going to move more directly into the spiritual nature of your purpose and your visit. You may be coming by to drop a book off to them. That's a good excuse to be visiting them, something you want to give them to encourage them in their spiritual walk. It may be a book that you as a board of elders have decided you want to give out to all of your church members. You may find, realize that you're the only one who has the book Steps to Christ and you want to give it to everyone in the church. 
because they've never read the book Steps to Christ. So you're going to do it, you're going to give that out as part of your visitation. In other words, you're preparing for your visit, whatever it is that you're going to do. I can't go in that too much. Your visitation format is to be a friend, but don't get lost in the be a friend part. Be a friend is by getting acquainted and by talking to them and getting to know them as an individual, them getting to know you a little bit as well. Be a friend, but you're more than a friend. You're a spiritual mentor. You're a spiritual encourager. You are the one who's responsible. You've been ordained as an elder to the position of being an elder because you are to be a mentor and an encourager in terms of spiritual life. Read the Bible when you go to people's homes. This is teaching people that the Bible is the focus of their, of their lives and it needs to be a focal point for them. Ask if there are things that you need to know about. Are there prayer requests? Are there challenges or problems in the home that you can take back and pray about? Ask uh, what the needs may be in that particular home. You might find out that this family doesn't have a, nobody in the family has a job. They've been trying and they're running out of food. They don't have clothes. They don't, whatever. Ask. Now, don't do that on the first visit. But in time, as you become acquainted with people, they will be able to open up to you more. Pray with them. One of the last things you should do is pray with them before you leave. And then you should leave. What did I say? Leave. I said you should leave. What did I say? Leave. <laughs> you should leave. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Sometimes elders think they go into a visit, they get so excited about the visit and they're there for three hours and they leave. The whole, that was such a great visit. And the people were saying, let's never let that person back in the church, again. I mean the house again. We can't get him out of here, okay? Now, if it's, if it's the 10th visit and there's an emotional issue going on and you need to be there for a period of time, that's one thing. But if it's your first visit or your second or third visit and you're there for two or three hours, you're there too long. Most of the time, your visit should be somewhere between 15 and 20, 25 minutes. No more than that. You really don't need to be there a long time. And as you get a little bit better acquainted, then you can express, expect, uh, expect to spend a little bit more time. Let me finish up real quick and then I'll, I'll come to your hand. When you leave, you're not done. If you're like me, you can't remember everything. And you don't want to remember everything necessarily, but you should keep some notes of your visit for two reasons. You want to remember the names of people that are in that home. You want to remember the experience there or maybe a special focus that you might forget about later because we all get busy in life. Something that you need to be praying about. You need to remember to pray about it. It may be something you need to be sharing with the, el the pastor and let the pastor know about it. You're writing that down. But don't go out to your car in front of their home and sit down and be writing. Because people do look out their windows, they do see what you're doing, and they're wondering what you're still doing in front of their house, okay? So go drive around the block or whatever and realize that sometimes people will, after your visit, get out of the house, get in the car to go to Myers and go shopping, and they will see you sitting in your car there. That does happen too. But just quickly make some notes about your visit, 
give it a date and keep track of that and it's in a notebook or whatever for that particular electronically whatever the way you want to do that or a way that you agree with as your pastoral team I'm spending the time on this because visitation is a critical part of elder ministry. You need to be involved in that ministry and you need to do it well. And it's critical. Real quick comment. Yeah, I don't like House Bazook because in my tradition, you're under an inspection. You're under a, uh, a, a, a microscope. And uh, so I'm a breakfast guy. I pay for the breakfast. And I do the other steps. Um, and then I... Always ask when we can do it again. And I have found that having them come for breakfast is like you're trying to be their friend. And quite honestly, that's what I want. Because for them to listen to me and for them to share maybe a problem, they first have to trust me. And if I don't develop that trust, it's never going to happen. We have to remember that not everybody feels like in a position to take people out to eat, but it's a good way to disarm. It's also a good way to connect with people that we might not normally connect with who don't want us to come to their home. Um, at some time, and I use this word cautiously only because you used it, at some point it is important for an elder to inspect the home. Now, let me explain. I already explained that. But I mean because you want to get to know that individual. Not inspect the home. Don't misunderstand me. Don't go looking in the refrigerator, okay? <laughs> All right? That's not what I'm talking about. You want to get acquainted with that person. What are the pictures they have on the wall of their family members that may be telling more about their life history that you wouldn't get in a normal setting? But I agree that we need a variety of ways to be able to do that. And especially initially, use what's comfortable for you. Don't force yourself into a mold that doesn't work for you, okay? Very good point. I'm going to keep going if it's all right. I am still on 16 of 74. I just okay. have a quick question. Go ahead, okay? Um, uh, we, they're members of the church, and uh, you go to a home visit, and they have uh, an extreme amount of, uh, I don't know what you call it, they used to be Catholics, so yeah. all yeah. the statues and stuff like that. Does that give you any red flags here? Uh-huh, <laughs> which is one of the reasons we go to people's homes. Uh, folks, and, and let me explain that. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not inspecting, but what I'm learning is where they are in their spiritual journey because we often baptize people but don't disciple people. And that's another part of what needs to be happening in the local church, and the elder needs to be a part of that. And I spoke a little bit of that yesterday. But we need to be understanding that they may be living a double life. And I don't mean a double life in the sense that they're doing one thing in church and another thing at home, but they may not be growing beyond where they've been in the past. Their Catholic traditions may still be staying with them. They may still have uh, 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 a St. Christ Christopher in their home to protect them from physical harm and danger or one in the backyard thinking that still is spirituality when they've not learned what the Bible teaches about those things. So, yes, red flags in the sense of looking there, is this a reflection of the spiritual nature here? And so what do I need to do to make sure that I wouldn't address it? What's that St. Christopher doing in your yard? You know, I wouldn't be doing that kind of thing. I would be saying um, to myself, I need to know what's happening here. And then I would, uh, as time goes by, not necessarily on that visit, 
but I would be kind of getting acquainted with them. And so, you know, how are you doing in your relationship with Christ? You know, what do you do to make sure that you uh, feel comfortable and safe in this dangerous world? Uh, are you learning to trust God and, and uh, in your study of the Bible and so on and so forth? Just those kinds of things. All right, I'm going to move ahead. I'm talking about counseling here for a moment. I, I really don't have time to go into this area. I, I will just simply say all caring people counsel and encourage at some point. As a leader in the church, you're going to counsel. If somebody calls you and asks you, where's the best place to find a new car? Your response to them is counsel. Do you understand? But if they call you and say, where can I get some counseling help because I'm struggling with whatever, that is you giving them counseling again. But sometimes you'll get into people's homes and you'll find that husband and wife are at war with each other. Or they've got a teenage girl who's just way off the deep end. You didn't even know she existed because they've only been coming to church for three weeks and you didn't know anything about her because she's never come to church. But you find out that they've got a troubled teenager and they're going to say, what can we do to help there? Well, you're going to give them some spiritual counsel and spiritual encouragement about what they can do, a verse that will encourage them from the Bible. That's counseling. But the kind of counseling you don't want to be getting caught into is the kind where you get with someone who has a deep psychological issue or problem. They might be schizophrenic. They might be um, uh, have other kinds of deep depression. They might have some of those kinds of things. Unless you are a trained counselor, you're not qualified, okay? And you should not be doing that. So here's the rule that we give to our pastors. We give this rule to our pastors. If you cannot meet the need in three times with that individual or that family, you refer. And if you want to refer, there are a list of counselors on the Michigan Conference website, MISDA.org. MISDA.org has a list of counselors. My wife, who is a counselor, has developed from around the whole state. Now, it's not in every town or every community, but usually within an hour or two's drive from wherever you are in the state of Michigan. She's tried to find Christian counselors to be able to identify with, not necessarily Seventh-day Adventists. We don't have that many counselors, but Christian counselors, sources, resources that you can go to. And that's all I have time to be able to say on this title, on this area. It's in print, uh, MISDA.org, MISDA.org, and it's a list of counselors. And I believe it's on the general, you don't have to go to an employee resources area in order to find it. You can find it um, in a general area so that you can download it. And if you for some reason needed it and didn't know where to get it, find it, be sure to give us a call at the conference office and ask for the ministerial department and Allie will be happy to tell you how to get that. There's a list of counseling guidelines here and I've already gone over them a little bit. It's in your notes and you can utilize that as well. The importance of prayer ministry is vital. I want to remind you that prayer changes lives. And we are not praying as much as a people as we should. As I heard uh, Jason Sliger say, Pastor Sliger say this morning in his uh, presentation, he reminded us that sometimes prayer meetings are studying a book and not praying. 
They're called prayer meetings for a reason. We need to be praying at prayer meeting. There are some basic ingredients here that are in your notes. Please look at them. They are very simple and basic, but recognize that a good prayer meeting is planned out, is on time, involves no more than 20 minutes of study and some testimonies and reflections, and then from prayer meeting. If it's the same people all the time saying the same things all the time, it will get boring. You need to work on that. That's all I can say to you at this point and need to go on. Social activities. You need to be involved in social activities in your church. If there are no social activities in your church, you're missing out on a four-sided human being. We are spiritual beings. We are physical beings. We are emotional beings, and we're also social beings. If you're not getting involved in fellowshipping with, each, with your members, you're missing out on helping the church to grow and to strengthen together. Social activities are great outreach activities. There are many non-Adventist family members of your church members who would come to a social activities when they would never come to a church or a health class or other outreach activity. That often is the starting point and a bridge to other activities. You need to recognize these aspects of things that are there. Okay, I need to spend the five minutes of the last 10 in this area. You as elders are supporters of the local leaders. Hear me carefully. You are responsible for your church. You're responsible for its growth. You can't do everything in your church. You may already be wearing three hats, but there are 15 or 20 or 30 hats in the church to wear. You can't wear them all. You shouldn't be wearing them all. You need to get everybody in your church involved. TMI, Total Member Involvement, is something the General Conference is encouraging. Well, it's not just them, it's in the Bible. <laughs> it's in the spirit of prophecy. We should all be utilizing the spiritual gifts. We talked about that yesterday. You as leaders need to be supporting the leaders in your church. If you've got a Sabbath school program that's weak and floundering and people don't even like to come to Sabbath school, which is about true of about 99% of our Sabbath schools today, it's your responsibility to work to change that. I didn't say it's your responsibility to change that. It's your responsibility to recognize, number one, that it's a problem. Number two, that it needs to have some planning and structure and training or whatever is necessary in order to bring life back to Sabbath school. There are lots of different ways to do it, but you can work that way. You support your leader. Don't go to your Sabbath school superintendent and say, you're failing. Go to your Sabbath school superintendent and say, how can we work together to strengthen Sabbath school ministry or community service ministry or whatever other ministry in your church needs support? By the way, they all do. But if they need to be strengthened, strengthen them. If they need encouragement to keep going, then just encourage them. Meet with your leaders from time to time. You got a personal ministries leader? Go to your personal ministries leader and say, I'd like to come to your home and visit with you. Why do you want to come to my home? Because your ministry is one of the most vital ministries that are out there, and I want to come and pray with you about your ministry and learn what I can do to help support your ministry. When they get up off the floor from fainting, go and minister to them 
and do the same with the rest of them as well. Um, Deacons and deaconesses, help them to do the work. It's on your notes. You can look at those things. That's one of the reasons I encourage you to come tomorrow and the next day for deacon and deaconess training. You do what you need to do. I'm just encouraging you to do it. You need to know what they're supposed to do. I don't have time to teach you all of that today, but there's a couple of notes in here telling you of some of the things that they need to be doing, including be involved in visitation with you and assisting you in ministry uh, as elders. They can visit in the hospitals. They should. That's what they should be doing. They should be helping in prison ministry. They are part of the leadership team. You should be supporting your clerk. Your clerk has a work beyond just transfers of membership and taking notes in the minutes uh, in the board meetings. They can be doing other things that are important here and encouraging church members. If church members are missing, clerks can send notes to missing members saying how much we care about you. I'm praying about you. We limit the ministry of people by not realizing there are simple things that they can be encouraged to do. A clerk knows all of the church members by name and address, hopefully. A real good clerk is going to tell you that, did you know that so-and-so, who was a member of our church, died three years ago? I had a pastor this last week telling me they were going through the church books and he said, we got people on our books that have been dead for years. The clerk needs to be doing that work and helping you to know, pastor, those people are dead. They don't know they're dead because they're not doing their work. They don't look up. They don't care anything about that. As long as they're not transferring in or out, they don't worry about it. When they died, they transferred out. Okay? But we've got to know it. We've got to work on that. Encourage their reliability and their faithfulness and uh, honor them for their faithful work when they're doing faithful work. If they need to be strengthened in, in doing that and encourage that work as well. The membership process, you need to be encouraging and working through that and make sure that process gets done seamlessly and works there. Most clerks today are on the computer system, e-adventist. If they're not, encourage your, your clerks to be on that. Get them training. Get them computer to be able to take care of it. Even in a small church, it helps to facilitate their work. If they need to be taught how to use a computer, you may need to do that. Elders need to be helping local churches, I could, uh, tre uh, individuals, treasurers. I could say a lot about this. There are two things I want to bring to you now, um, besides what you see on the screen right here. Treasurers have a special responsibility to keep members giving confidential, except those who share the responsibility of the work. I have calls coming to me today, the treasurer will not let me see the church books. That's the pastor. No. Zero. Zilch. No. That is not correct. It's not the church manual. Specifically, this is the wording out of the church manual, except for those who share the responsibility of the work. Does the pastor share the responsibility of the work? The pastor needs access to that, and even the head elder, in some cases, may need access to the church books. It is a spiritual matter that needs to be cared for when church members are not returning a tithe, especially a faithful tithe. 
It is the pastor's responsibility. Ellen White makes this abundantly clear, and the Word of God is clear. If you are robbing God, you've got a spiritual problem. If you've got a spiritual problem, that's the pastor's responsibility and the elder's responsibility. If you are an elder or a pastor, you need to be ministering to that spiritual response, that spiritual need. If you're not knowledgeable because you're not looking at the books, you don't know what the spiritual need is. I'm getting nosy. No, you're not getting nosy. You're getting responsible. And the responsibility God has placed upon you, you cannot shirk. You cannot say, go to God and say, I don't believe that's my responsibility. God says, I get to tell you what your responsibility is, not you. Is that two-pointed? Do I need to take that off of the recording? Okay. <laughs> Pastors are able to view the records of the treasure, and they are expected to do so. So keep that in mind. Also have a good plan for keeping money safe in your church. If there is not two people counting the money in your church, you've got a problem. I've had several treasurer situations this year where the treasurer says, I count the money. That is red flag number one. If they count the money, they can also steal the money. They may not be stealing the money. We trust that they aren't. But they should never do that so that there would never be a question. Never allow that to happen. Have a good plan. Two people need to count that money and sign for it every single week. If it's in an envelope, you don't count it. That does get done by the treasurer. But, well, I don't know. You got, I got to think about that a little bit. Because while the envelope actually says whether it's cash or check, and that's the double check. That's what keeps the thing from being dishonest. The treasurer can't deal with that. But when there's cash in the plate and it's not counted, that's a, an area of, uh, of issue and responsibility. Personal ministries and personal ministries council, you need to be supporting all of these areas. I could say something about every one of them, and I just don't have time. Communication is one that I want to strengthen and encourage you to strengthen in your church. Communication... 20 years ago used to be somebody who would write an article for the newspaper every once in a while. I'd almost, it'd be interesting to just take a survey. How many of you actually read a newspaper on paper and bought it at a, at a machine um, on the street corner in the last 20 years? <laughs> You know, we don't do that anymore. We don't use newspapers hardly anymore. We use so much online. But my point is this. A lot of the communication that we do today is in social media. And our churches need to be up on it. If you, or your church does not have an active website, you don't exist. Did you hear what I said? If your church does not have an active website today and you don't have young people coming to your church, it's because you don't exist. They look, young people look for a church by getting online and seeing where it is and what is it doing. And when they get on there and they find a calendar with events from three years ago, they know that church is doing nothing. How exciting is it to go to that church? Or if they get on there and it simply says church services at 11, as does every other website a Michigan conference and doesn't have anything else and doesn't have regular personal activities and all that, you don't exist. I know it's more work. You're just the elder. I'm not talking about you doing it. Support your communication department. Don't have somebody. Turn to the kids. They'll do it for you. Support Christian education. Uh, if you don't have a Christian school, have one. Literature ministry, very important. 
Department ministry plans. I'm already out of time. Department ministry plans. I need you to stay with me, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do with the last couple of sections. Department ministry plans are, we have some sample plans, which I don't have to give to you right now, but they, they are available, and what I'll do is that's one of the reasons I want these sign-in sheets, because I will, I will send them out to you sometime after we get back from camp meeting. These department ministry plans are sheets that are used for you to give to, for your pastor and your church leaders to use to develop departmental plans. For example, every church should have plans. Every department in the church should have plans. Your plans for your church should be built upon what your plans for your departments are. Your personal ministry department should have plans. Your elders should have plans. Your deacons should have plans. Your Community services and Sabbath schools should have plans. Their leaders should write their plans down and they should include activities and schedule events and et cetera, et cetera. They bring all those plans together and that becomes your church's master plan um, for your church. How do you do all that? We have some forms that help to facilitate that and accomplish that. I'll send those out to you and get those out to you. Church growth is your responsibility. Involving the church, I've said enough about that already on a side way. By the way, church, children's church, be careful about that. I want, to, I want you to turn to the section that talks about the church's high standards, and I'm going to make a few summary statements because I need to let you go. I will talk about this more on Friday, and so here's the good news. I'm going to spare you from having to hear it twice. So if you'll come on Friday, you will at least hear it once. <laughs> and, and that is, we're not doing a good job when it comes to holding up God's standards. God's standards. We think we're actually helping the church to grow by ignoring sin in the camp. The church never grows when sin, open sin is ignored in the camp. It will always struggle and deteriorate and eventually die out when sin is being ignored in the local church. It's, you can't go to the Bible and convince me that ignoring sin is biblically appropriate. You cannot go to the spirit of prophecy and convince me that either. Ellen White is abundantly clear on this issue. And if I can get to one of these... Um, Ellen White says in volume 7 of the testimonies of wrongs are apparent among his people and if the servants of God pass on indifferent to them, they virtually sustain and justify the sinner and are alike guilty and will just as surely receive the displeasure of God for they will be made responsible for the sins of the guilty. I didn't write that. Ellen White, the servant of God, wrote that. She is building that upon the principles of the Word of God and instruction that God has given. A reminder to you and me that if you think you're doing your church good and you're doing your members good by ignoring their sin, all you're doing is solidifying the likelihood that they will die in the second resurrection. Did you hear me? It's an eternal issue. If you allow sin to go on in their life, sin will, by definition, destroy them. And they are allowed to continue because you're condoning their sin by ignoring their sin. 
you and I have to be willing to take a stand in relationship to these things. Now, the statement that's before this, it's in your notes. It says, human beings are Christ's property purchased by an inf him at an infinite price. How careful then should we be in dealing with one another? I didn't say be bullies. I didn't say be mean. I did say be spiritual and also hold up the standards. There are some principles by which this needs to be done. The seriousness of sin must not be ignored. Christ does have a method in Matthew 18 for dealing with this, a three-step process of visiting them individually, then with someone else if they don't respond, then going to the church if they simply refuse to recognize that. That principle, those principles are clearly there. Love and mercy is to guide all of our actions in relationship to this issue. We need to be protecting church members even from their own, um, from sin. But we also need to do one more thing, and I need to dwell on this for a moment. At MISDA.org, there is a department called Human Resources. So if you go to MISDA.org, you look at departments as one of the things on the bar across. Look under departments, then you'll see administration. Under administration is HR. HR has under it an area where it says resources. I think they're general resources. I'm not absolutely sure that those general resources include a plan for caring for the people in your church that are most vulnerable, especially your children. You need to have a plan in your church for managing sex offenders in your church. If you have a sex offender attending your church that is publicly on the registry, you are responsible for what takes place in that local church. If that person somehow violates their probation or the standards by which they are allowed to attend a church and they violate that and, vi and they molest somebody in your church, your church, our church, us, we are responsible for that, and we can wind up in court and dealt with that. Now, Brother Jim and I had a wonderful conversation about the challenges with some of this whole area yesterday, and I don't have time to go into all of that. But I want to tell you, you need to have a good plan. There's a great plan laid out there in, in that, in terms of what you need to do to protect your church, not just when you have a sex offender, but to make sure that it never happens in your church, the problem whether you've got a sex offender or not. You need a good plan for protecting your kids. Today we live in a perverted society and we need to protect our, our most vulnerable members and that's there. I, I wish I had time to talk about that. We'll work on something as an additional training in the future. We'll talk about conflicts on Friday. I gotta quit. Thank you very much for being part of this and letting me go ahead. I wish I had, so, I need six hours to do this class, to be honest and give you time to be able to interact but I have to kind of push it in to get all the people I need to see during the time here. I am happy to come to your church and do training for elders. I do this um, on a regular basis. I was in Battle Creek just a couple weeks ago, and I'm happy to come around in churches and do it. I especially like it when uh, several churches will get together and combine together, bring their elders together. That way I cover more territory and, and do that. So if I can help that way, I'll be happy to do that. I do it for elders. I do it for deacons and deaconesses as well. Thank you. Let's have a prayer, and then I'll conclude. And if you've got any questions, come see me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us again today. Never enough time, Lord. 
but you have wisdom to be able to give to us in our time of need. So if we haven't covered everything here today, or we've done so inadequately to really meet a specific need, Lord, I pray, number one, that you will give wisdom and direction to each of the elders here, that you will help them as they seek to rise to the standard of the spiritual calling that you have placed upon them, and that together we'll be able to also work to strengthen the work of elders in the local church. I pray that you will give them courage and uh, direction in their ministry as we go through the rest of this day. Please be with us. Thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.